You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Uh, Sermon on the Mount, last sermon, as I said, uh, this is, um, we're going to look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. Would you, I hope you brought a Bible with you. If you didn't, that's fine. We're going to have the words up on the screens. So Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. Would you help us seize this moment, Father, because I know that you have a lot to tell us. Would you help us distinguish your voice, Lord God, among the noises that we hear in our mind? All the news and all the opinions and all the perspectives, Lord God, and, and all, the, all the clutter that's going on in our mind. Father, I ask that you would make your voice clear to us this morning. And Father, I ask that, that what we're going to hear today from your word, Father, I pray that you would bear much fruit, Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, for if anyone here does not have a relationship with you, if someone here does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that you would save them today. I pray that you would open their hearts, open their eyes, let them understand and see you for who you really are the God of this universe, our creator, our Lord and Savior. Father, I ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. Have you ever been to a really nice beach? Like a really nice one. Like a very, very nice one. Hmm. So this is what you see on the screens um, is... Makina Beach or Big Beach, it, 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 our, it, in our honeymoon, Emma and I went, had the privilege to go to Maui, Hawaii. And we went to this beach, and that's what you see. It's one of the pictures. I don't think it does any, you know, uh, it, it's a lot better than what you see, but that's the best that I could found. <laughs> Absolutely breathtaking scenery. Beautiful blue ocean water, extremely clear. I mean, you could go, you could see your toes in water up to your chest. It was unbelievable. Like, is this real? Um, that beach was the absolute best by far. We had such an amazing time, such a great time. I would definitely go back if I, we could get the chance to, to go back and just, uh, just take in the scenery, take in all that beauty and just enjoy it. But do you know where you don't want to be when a storm hits that beach <laughs> or any other beach for that matter. You do not want to be on the beach when the storm hits. The beach is the last place you want to be when the storm hits. When a storm hits, you run for shelter. You run for cover. Yeah, that used to be a beautiful beach. And it is. It would be if it would be sunny and 
if there wouldn't be any storm. But yeah, you want to run for shelter. Jesus, as he's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to tell us a parable, a short story, the one that we just read. And it's a short story about a storm that's going to hit. And I just want to ask you this question because this language is familiar to us, the language of storms, the storms that we face in our life. And the question is this, what are some of the storms that you are facing in your life in this season? It could be small storms, big storms, uh, you know, different degrees and intensity, you know, um, all kinds. They come in all sizes. Sure, it feels like the last two, three years of life on planet Earth seems like a continuous storm for a lot of people. Thinking about the pandemic, thinking about the war in Europe, right? The violence and the corruption and the list goes on and on and on. And maybe for you, you have a difficult time paying attention to the problems in the world out there because you have so many storms in your own life. Like I have no bandwidth to think what's out there because I'm going through so much in my life. Internal struggles, mental health, loneliness, depression, suicidal thoughts. You've got marriage problems or single problems or parenting problems and, 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 and the list goes on and on and these are the storms that we face. And yet, what happens when storms hit is they often shake our faith. They often shake our faith. They shake the foundation which we live our lives on. And maybe for you, you came to church today and your life is just peachy and everything is just smooth sailing for you. And I hate to be a downer and to burst your bubble, but check the forecast because storms are going to come and are going to hit you. None of us are exempt. So what happens is that these storms have a tendency to shake us to the very core of who we are. These storms have a tendency to shake the things that we build our lives on. I don't think it's a mistake when Apostle Paul is writing to his apprentice, Timothy, who's leading a church in Ephesus. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, Paul is describing people who lost their faith. And the terminology he's using is, some have shipwrecked their faith. Some have shipwrecked their faith. Have you ever seen a cruise ship up close? Or maybe you've been on one. They are huge. They're absolutely huge. Or, or have you seen one of those huge cargo ships that, you know, designed to carry coal? These things are humongous. But can you imagine one of these huge ships being tossed and pushed ashore and even shipwrecked? Maybe on a random recreational beach on Makina Beach, right? Because of powerful storms. And yes, that happens. It's not supposed to end up on a random recreational beach, but it's supposed to be in a port. That's where these ships need to end up in a port. It's supposed to be in this narrow channel parked in the port. But because of the storm, it ends up where it's not supposed to, and it's shipwrecked. And I'm thinking about last week's teaching uh, from Lucas what did we read from, from that last passage? The way of Jesus is not wide. What, what is it? Narrow. Narrow. 
It's narrow, narrow like one of these, one of those narrow channels in a port where the, these big ships need to go, not on a recreational beach being shipwrecked. And if we continue with this metaphor, with this analogy, Jesus' words really function as a lighthouse, which simply says, go this way. Follow me, I will guide you. I will instruct you where you need to go. I will instruct you on how you're supposed to live your life. Do you believe that? That God's word does that? Can you imagine being the captain on one of these humongous coal ships and the raging wind and waves are blowing so violently that you can't even see the lighthouse anymore? And for some of us, we face things that have almost at times shipwrecked our faith. Like, I don't think I believe in God anymore. So what is it going to take for you and for I, what is it going to take for you and I to develop a faith that stands the test of time? To develop a faith that has resilience. Here's a heartbreaking statistic from Barna from 2019. Two-thirds of high school students, two-thirds of high school students and college students that attend church and call themselves Christian will walk away from their faith by the time they get to 25. Two-thirds, 66%. That's crazy. And we never know if they'll ever come back. How sad is that? So the point is this, storms will come for everyone different sizes for all of us. Therefore, are we going to be a wise builder? We just read about a wise builder and learn to develop a resilient faith that stands the test of anything that life has to throw at us or a foolish one because Jesus talks about that too or a foolish builder, one that builds his life on sand on a beautiful beach. A foolish Christian who then, when the wind of trials blow, he's out and you never see him again. And that's what Jesus' goal is at the end here of the Sermon on the Mount, to challenge us, church. Which one is it going to be? The wise builder or the foolish builder? Which one are you going to be? Because quite frankly, whoop-de-doo if all we got from the Sermon on the Mount is a bunch of great preaching, great insight, interesting conversations, but it doesn't produce in us a more rooted faith, a deeper faith, a more resilient faith that stands the test of time. Do you know what we actually get excited about and we, we forget the most important thing to allow the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in our lives? We get excited about experiences. We get excited about our experiences with God, and and, and we should. We should get excited about that. But we shouldn't, at the expense of following up with the Holy Spirit's convictions and allow Him to bear fruit in our life and allowing Him to grow us in our faith. You hear many Christians say, I've had such amazing experiences with God back in the day, the good old days. Remember those prayer meetings? Remember those, that it was just phenomenal. Remember how amazing it was when we went through the Sermon on the Mount with our church. The sermons were on point, amazing insight, and God spoke to us in this and that. But do you know who else had an amazing experience with God? 
The actual people sitting on the mountaintop listening to Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years ago. They had an amazing experience listening to the Son of God, seeing him face to face. Wow, don't think you can beat that. It doesn't get much better, you know, a more mountaintop experience than listening to Jesus himself from a mountaintop. And Jesus says, I'm really happy that you're here and having a great time, a great experience that you can tell your kids, but what is it doing in you? Is your faith going deeper so that you stand the storm when it comes? Are you allowing these words of mine to go deeper so that you bear fruit? There's absolutely nothing wrong with powerful experiences. But our faith cannot be solely based on our emotions, on our feelings and powerful experiences. They cannot. Jesus is looking for lifelong followers. People that commit to following him through the good times, through the good season and the bad season. When it's sunny and you're enjoying that beach, but even when when the storm comes, go and get shelter in Christ. But you're not going away. In another parable that Jesus spoke, and we'll get to our text here in a minute, in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, it may have been, might be familiar to you. If not, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a summary. The farmer goes out and he's scattering seeds and there are four kinds of soil, four kinds of soil. And one of the soils that I believe accurately represents this tendency that we're talking about this morning, the tendency to rely on experiences while your faith is weak, is the rocky soil. The rocky soil. Matthew 13, 5 and 6 says this. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they had no root, they withered away. How interesting. We need more than an exciting experience with God, church, to sustain our faith through the storms of life. They're not going to do it. We need depth and we need roots. We need to go deep. We need to dig our lives deep into a foundation that lasts So let me just read the text again, but we'll leave the last two verses for the very end. Only a few verses, but we'll leave the last two verses for the end. Everyone who then, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Just to point out, verse 27, the last verse that we just read is the final line that Jesus would have preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Just picture yourself and put yourself in the, I don't know, that I'm, I'm, I'm there on the mountaintop listening to his words. And that verse 27, the last verse, the last few words that Jesus spoke on that, on the Sermon on the Mount. And it ends with someone dying in a storm. Did you catch that? <laughs> like, really? According to our modern metrics, 
that's not really a great way to end a sermon, Jesus. Come on, give us some hope. <laughs> like he, at least put the guy, the wise builder at the end. You know, give us some, you know, and the guy was just, you know, dug deep and rooted in the rock and, you know, no, 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 he doesn't even do that. Jesus is like, and the house fell on him and he died. Have a great week, everyone. Like, what? This is kind of crazy if you ask me. That's the final verse. He doesn't even, you know, switch the order, right? So what's the moral? Like, what, Jesus, why are you doing this? The moral of the story, we need to understand what Jesus is doing, church. He is trying to teach us the importance of living out our faith in him. That's what he's doing. This is no joke. He's emphasizing the importance of a resilient faith. He's emphasizing the importance of a solid faith, a faith built on the rock, on him. Now, just in case you didn't catch on, we are mixing metaphors a little bit today. I don't want anyone to be confused. In Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, we are told the soil is shallow. The roots need soil, but they hit a bunch of rocks, right? And the rocks, are the rocks good or bad in this parable? They're bad. They're bad because they are preventing the roots to go deeper. I don't really know much about gardening. I know Dan does, um, and my wife does too. She's learning a lot. Um, but at least I know this, if your gardening rocks are bad. But I certainly know this because I worked in construction for almost 20 years. Rocks are great if you're building, but they're not that great when you're gardening. So do you see the mixed metaphors? I wanted to at least give you a heads up because we are talking about roots, but at the same time, we are talking about foundation as well. So having said that, here's first point we need to make because it's very obvious from our text today. This is the first thing that we should just kind of go home with. It's very obvious. Stay rooted in the rock. Can you remember that? Stay rooted in the rock. Just so we're super clear, we're not talking about the rocks that prevent us from going deeper in our faith. We're talking about building our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. And again, the rock is not very helpful if you're gardening, but the rocks and the rock makes for a perfect, stable, and firm foundation. And what Jesus does in our text for today, he contrasts a perfect, firm, and robust foundation on the rock with a very weak and always moving kind of a foundation on sand. Here's the thing about building on sand. The structure that the foolish guy would have built on sand would have gotten up way faster, right? It would have got, gone up way faster. I've done some fencing in my life. I, I, I'm no pro, but I've done some fencing in decks. And I know at least this much that when you're digging through soil, that's very hard work. To have to get the auger out, to dig the holes and versus just digging through sand, which you can actually just use your hands. No need for power tools, no need for heavy machinery, and no need for much sweat and many blisters. It's the same as the wide path that Jesus was talking about last week. And he, and he describes it as what? Do you guys remember how he describes that that way? Easy. He said, it's easy. It's easy. Verse 13, for the gate is wide and the way is what? Easy. It's easy. And on this wide gate and path, anything goes. That's why it's easy. Anything goes. Not really any rules, not really, you know, a standard. Anything goes, it's easy. Everyone will make it. Have you heard that? 
Oh, you, you, everyone will make it to Jesus and to God. Whatever, whatever faith you have, you'll make it. If you want to sleep around before marriage, you know, before you get married or while you're married, do it. If you want to buy into all the cultural trends and bend to whatever society deems right, you'll probably, you'll probably live an easier life. Do it. Go for it. So what Jesus is saying is that if you build your life on a foundation that is in the sand, it will be an easy life. Everything kind of goes. Also, the other thing that sand uh, about sand is that it, it is always shifting. It, it, it's always moving. It's not stable. It's never stable. Here's the second point Jesus is making. Shifting sands fall flat. Shifting sands fall flat. If you build your life on a foundation that's unstable, or always changing. It just falls flat and it's just a matter of time. And I just want to give you some examples of different foundations for your life that always shift and are very unstable. How about popularity? Oh, that's, that's changing all the time, isn't it? You can be popular one moment and cancel the next. Social media is a shifting sand. And the trends on social media, the amount of followers and likes that we get, that's, that's not a good foundation. Entertainment is another shifting foundation. Success in your business or grades if you still go to school. How about looks? How about good looks? Is that a shifting? Yes, it is. Fashion trends. How about this one? Even your personal health is a shifting foundation. Having lots of stuff, having a large bank account, or at least going for that, you know? That's all great until there's a recession. How about relationships? They are shifting sands. The relationship is great until there's a fight or an argument or a divorce or until your kids don't call you anymore. That is a shifting sand. Let me ask, do we see how all of these are shaken, shifting foundations? Do we? Yeah. There are so many foundations that we try to build our lives on. And the reality is that there isn't anything necessarily wrong with these things. But the truth is that they cannot hold the weight of your life and of your identity. Let me say that again. The truth is that they cannot hold the weight of your life and of your identity. They were not meant for that. They were not meant to be foundations they will change. They will let you down. They are false foundations because they seem like they are great, but in the end, they are not meant to be foundations. So church, I want to challenge you to examine your life and whoever you are, a friend, I want to I challenge you to examine the foundations of your life. Would you please ask yourself these practical questions? What's the thing that I think about the most in life? That's a shaky foundation, if it's not God. What's the thing that I get most excited about in this season? That's your foundation. What is truly my identity in? Your foundation. Where do I get my sense of value? Whatever the answer is, your foundation. The answer to all of these questions is your foundation. Have you ever heard of the phenomenon called permafrost? Anyone? Permafrost, yeah. It's a very deceptive thing. Because if you start building your house and you don't check the ground that you're building on, and I mean checking it dozens of feet below, 
And this type of thing happens in Alaska, places like Alaska a lot. And, and by the way, there are actually people who do just that for a living, checking the ground where people build on. So, so what this, this um, phenomenon permafrost is, it's high levels of moisture in the ground. And by the way, it, it's permanently frozen, but it's frozen until you get a really, really hot summer. And then those levels of moisture are, that are frozen melt away. And all of a sudden, your house that's been great for a few years just whoop. It just, the foundation just cracks and it breaks. There's like stuff moving underneath, right? Or on the other hand, if you have a long, long winter, what happens is the ice would expand much more than normally would. So you could have a structure that's perfectly fine for a few years, not a single problem for a few years, and then you get one hot summer or, you know, and everything just changes. The ground underneath you just moves and shakes and your foundation just comes apart. And all of this because the owners thought that the ground where they laid the foundation on was perfectly fine and stable. But there was something underneath that surface that was shifting church in the same way. Some of our foundations that we built our life on may seem fine and stable, but that relationship might might not have let you down just yet, but it's just a matter of time. Living for success or whatever, that might not have let you down just yet, but it's just a matter of time because it's not a firm and stable foundation because shifting sand will inevitably fall flat. And this unstable and shifting foundation on sand is contrasted by Jesus in our passage today Um, with building your house, building your foundation on the rock. We've all seen those old buildings that have stood the test of time, right? These buildings that that have seen many storms, just like Jesus gives the the parable. They've seen many storms and some have experienced floods and fires and wind and powerful gusts of winds and the scorching sun. And even after hundreds of years, they are still standing. They were built right. There wasn't any permafrost or sand underneath the foundation. Here's the point. While shifting sands fall flat, a firm foundation stays strong. A firm foundation stays strong. In Luke 6, a parallel account of this parable, and Jesus describes the wise men a little bit differently. In our passage, Matthew 7, it sounds like the wise man just finds a, a good rock that he can build on and says, hey, look at that, a good rock. Let me just build my house there, Right? But here's how the wise man is described in Luke 6, 48. We're given just a little bit more information. He's like a man building a house, check this out, who dug deep, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. This is so helpful for us, isn't it? So this isn't, this isn't just some passive, I wonder which location I should pick to build my house on. But the reality is that there should be this digging deep until you hit bedrock so that you know for sure that this is a good location to lay your foundation on. Doing the structural engineering, checking to see if there's permafrost there. There is an effort involved in growing a resilient faith. Does that make sense? Yes, I think it does. I hope you remember this, but this, um, this is what I said a few Sundays ago. Sanctification is not a passive process. Becoming, which means becoming more and more like Jesus, is not a passive process. And here at the very end of the sermon, 
on the mount, Jesus is inviting us to participate in following him, not merely to have a great mountaintop experience, not merely to be excited and pumped about the great insight we've accumulated, but to grow and have a robust, a deep and firm foundation in him, a foundation that stands the test of time, not one that takes you from experience to experience with five years in between of not going to church, of not reading your Bible or whatever. Having said that, I want to give us three ways. I want to give us three steps for the remainder of the sermon that we can take to go deeper in our faith, to go deeper in our faith to, to, so that our faith, no matter where you're at in your faith, you can always go deeper. You can always have a more robust and resilient faith. So I want to give us three ways or three steps that we can take to go deeper. And here's the first thing. Trust God's love. That's the first thing that you want to go for. Trust God's love. Church, one of the first things, one of the first cracks that begins to form in your foundation of your faith, when a trial hits, when a storm hits, it's this. I'm not so sure God loves me anymore. He doesn't care about me. Have you been there? sitting on the hospital bed, just diagnosed with some crazy disease. And you're like, all of a sudden you were on the beach. God is good. I love you, Jesus. Matter of 24 hours, he doesn't love me anymore. There's a crack in your foundation. You've been building on sand. I had a strong faith when I was on the beach in Maui and it was nice and all I could see was blue skies and beautiful turquoise ocean water and soft white sand beaches. But when the storm hit, I'm not so sure God loves me anymore. I just lost my, lost my parents and he doesn't love us. Are you kidding me? Hmm. Building on sand. And in times like this, what it means to go deeply uh, uh, rooted in your faith, what it means to be deeply rooted in your faith is this. God still loves you, even if your external circumstances are telling you the opposite. That's what it means to have a deeply rooted faith. That no matter what's going on around you or in your life, God still loves you. Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians 3.17. I love this. Pay attention to the language, please. That you, can you, can you just say it with me? Being rooted and grounded in love. Let's say that again. Being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Those words again, rooted, rooted in his love. Are you rooted in his love? Church, I want you to answer this question for yourself. How much does God love you? What would you say? Don't say it from here. Say it from here. What would you say? If someone could open up your heart, what, what would come out when I would ask you, how much does God love you? Church, it's fourth dimensional. It's something outside the range of ordinary experiences or it surpasses your knowledge and understanding just like we have it in this passage. It, it, it just, boom, over our head. 
right? God loves you. He created you. It's something that you cannot fully wrap your mind around. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He created the universe so that you could be the object of his love. God loves you, church. He gives you every single breath. Even when you're rebelling against him, God is still sustaining your life. How much does God love you? Well, the pinnacle of his love is fully displayed at the cross where he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place. And he was raised back to life so that you might have a glorious hope in him, so that you might have a glorious hope of salvation, forgiveness, and new eternity in him, a hope of mercy, and to be reconciled and be made right with a holy and a perfect God. That's how much God loves you, church. He loves you to death, even death on a cross. And we have to be reminded of these gospel truths when the storm hits us. Trust God's love. If we're going to have a firm foundation built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, you've got to be reminded of these gospel truths that God still loves you. That's why we come to church. That's why we try to meet more and more. We come here on Thursday night and and, and we should do it daily so that we remind each other of these truths because we forget and our foundation cracks. We need each other to remind each other of these truths. See, God's love doesn't spare us from every storm, but he walks with us through every storm. Let me ask you this. Why don't we fear no evil? Psalm 23, because he is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And that's not because he never allows us to go into the valley of the shadow of death, but we fear no evil because he is with us. Because it's God's presence that gives us the peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding, not the absence of the trials in our life. Church, I just want to encourage you today that God loves you so much. Would you trust that? No matter where you're at, if you're trusting God's love for, let's say, a week, oh, you can go a lot deeper. If you've been trusting God's love for a billion years, you can go deeper. But not just like a mental exercise. Yeah, Jesus loves me. This I know for, you know, the Bible. No, no, no. Yeah, this is not some basic Sunday school cute truths. Sure, we have to teach that to our children. Amen. But this is something that we never grow out of trusting and recognizing and building and digging deep in his love. Why do we even take the Lord's Supper every month? Why are we going to take the Lord's Supper today? Why? Why are we doing this? To remind us of the gospel, to remind us of the cross. That's how much he loves us. Look at the cross. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Are you building your life on that reality and truth? No matter what storm comes, you can trust that God still loves you. We've been using this imagery of storms to describe the storms and the trials that we face, the suffering that we face in our life, right? And I think that's an accurate interpretation of the text. But another interpretation of the storm here in our text that Jesus might be primarily referencing is this. It's a common way of referring to the judgment day. Do you realize that? A coming storm is the judgment day. 
And if you read carefully the passage from last week and the other passages leading to this text, it seems like when Jesus is contrasting the way of the world and his way, it seems like he's talking about two destinations. And I think Jesus might primarily have in mind the storm of final judgment. And even if you're successful, and you can avoid any kind of major and serious problems in your life, and you can have all your family members with you for as long as you can. And what would, what would you truly gain if you got the whole world in comfort, but you were not able to stand before Jesus Christ at the final judgment? What would it get you? There's a storm coming for every single human being who's ever lived on planet Earth. Jesus is coming back. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that you can have confidence on the day of judgment. How awesome is that? You can have confidence when you stand before Jesus Christ, if you stand in Jesus Christ. And I just want to invite you, if you've never said yes to Jesus being the foundation to building your life, if you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today can be the day that you can actually do that. And I invite you to respond in baptism. Baptism is the way Jesus instructed us to say yes to him. There are many ways that we can show our faith to Jesus. That We should do that every single day. But there's only one baptism. There's only one starting line. It's a public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ. That's some good news. If that's you, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Lucas or Razer, and we'll get that set up. Trust me. We'd be glad to know that you have received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. The best kind of news, let me tell you. How do you know that Jesus is worth entrusting your life to? <laughs> well, you can trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord because you trust God's love. Why did Jesus do that? Because he first loved us. The gospel is this beautiful story of God's love toward us sinners. So you can follow him with everything because he first loved you. So step number one, trust God's love. Trust God's love. Number two, listen to Jesus. It's not enough just to, you know, yeah, I trust in his love and you do. And listen to Jesus. Jesus begins this parable of the wise and foolish builder by saying what? Can you please just someone say it to me? How does, it, how does this start, this, this parable? He who hears these words of mine. That, that's how he starts it. So remember the final passage from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying, you've all heard the sermon now. What are you going to do with it? What are you doing with it? Are you going to continue to listen to my words, my instructions? And the reality is that part of, of building the foundation is not only receiving God's love through the gospel, but it's listening to Jesus, listening to God's word. John says in John 10 that his sheep hear his voice. Are you able to discern the voice of Jesus in the midst of all the other noises going around in the world? Are you? Among all the other chatter in the world, among all the social media and all the news and all the opinions and all the perspectives, can you hear the voice of Jesus Christ through all of that? Or this, can you hear the voice of Jesus through the storms that you are going through? Can you do that? You've got to listen to Jesus. 
I love how Psalm 1 talks about this. Psalm 1 contrasts someone who walks in the way of the world, someone who walks with the wicked, with the sinners, with the scoffers, versus someone who delights in the law of the Lord, who's meditating on God's word day and night. Listen how that person is described here in Psalm 1 verse 3. He's like a tree, what? Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. He's planted. He is planted. That language again. This beautiful picture of this tree that's got these deep roots. Deep roots. Let me ask, how, what is helping those roots grow deeper? It's God's word. But water too, of course, it's God's word. It's feasting on God's word multiple times a day. It says that he was in the law of God day and night. Feasting on God's word multiple times a day. I mean, let me just ask this. How healthy would a person be who only has one meal on a Sunday morning? Have you tried that? Eating physically just once a week? Why are, why are we constantly doing it spiritually then? Why? Which is much more important than eating physically. Why, why do we do that? Now imagine how this man inside of us looks like, probably really anorexic and about to die if not dead already, because we're not feeding him the word of God. Jesus taught us, church, that man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let me ask you this then, how consistent is your diet when it comes to Bible engagement? Church, friends, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm preaching this message to myself. So if I get passionate and if I get excited, it's because I'm happy to preach the word of God, but I'm speaking it to me first. Just wanna to give that disclaimer. So how consistent is your diet when it comes to Bible engagement? Do you have a consistent plan for reading God's word, Ovi, for knowing it, for discerning the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of Jesus? Look at how Paul says it in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of God dwell in you, what? Richly. <laughs> Let me ask, does the word of God dwell richly in you or scarcely in you or occasionally in you? Or I may listen to the podcast if I get around it. I'm going to reference this study from the Center of Bible Engagement. They did a massive study with thousands of people across all different kinds of ages. And they found that there was a, there was a negligible effect. Negligible effect to someone who was reading the Bible three times or less a week. Now, if you're here, and if that's you, I'm not here, and I'm not saying... If you read your Bible three times or less, don't read it anymore because it's equal zero. That's not what I'm saying. But this is what they found. They found that the turning point was for people who read four times or more per week. That all of a sudden, somehow, they were activating God's word and it was bearing fruit in their life and it was making a difference in their life. Their mental health was significantly higher. They were 200% more likely to share their faith. All these awesome things happening in their life. And I'm not here to say that there's something magical or, you know, about the number four. <laughs> no, other than the fact that when you get to number four, four out of seven becomes what? A majority. You see that? Four out of seven is in a week is most of the time. So then do you read the Bible most of the time? 
Are you engaged in the Bible? Are you memorizing Bible? Are you studying the Bible? Are you feasting? Are you meditating on God's word? Do you know what else we need to do to listen to, 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 listen to his voice? It's not only being in the word, but spending time in prayer with him. Prayer has a way of helping us supernaturally to discern his voice. It has a way of helping us hear his voice more clearly. Leonard Ravenhill said this, and I quote, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. Failing here, we fail everywhere. So first step that we have to make in building a foundation on the rock church is to trust in God's love and then to listen to Jesus. And then number three, live it out. Trust in his love, listen to Jesus, and then live it out. I can't say it any more simply than that. I want, it to, I want it to be so simple for us that we go home and we think about these things. Here's what's shocking about the parable of the wise and the foolish builder. Both of them heard the instructions of Jesus. Did you catch that? Both of them. Both the wise and the foolish builder heard. They heard that you shouldn't build your house on the sand because the storm is going to, to come and hit. So what are we saying here? Both of these kinds of people come, can, can, can be found in a church on a Sunday morning like today. Wise builders and foolish builders. Both of these builders probably grew up in church together and they probably had great mountaintop experiences at some point in their lives. But one of them chose, willingly chose to ignore the instructions from the master builder to ignore the instructions from the, from the one who actually is the way, who, from one who, who made the way, and the other, what? The other followed. Do you see that? This is the difference, church, between obedience and disobedience. Apostle Paul gets at the same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, what? Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See those two words again? Love connecting these verses together, rooted and built up. You wanna be rooted in the rock? Do you wanna go deeper in your faith than ever before? What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, one of the things, what it means, it means that there are still sins in your life that you need the Holy Spirit to sanctify you from. One of the things that it means that God wants not only to forgive your sins, but to free you from the power of sin in your life. So there are things in your life that Jesus says, nope. And we have to start saying, nope, as well. Not only to receive Jesus as Lord, but to walk in the way of Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to need to learn how to confess well, because we have a lot of luggage I need to get really good at confessing my sin before Christ at the cross and then to repent well and to invite the Holy Spirit to sanctify me. These things you need to master because you'll need to do them on a regular basis. But there are good things that you need to implement in your life as well. The Christian walk is not just a list of bad things they need to cut away and cut off from your life. There are also good works that Jesus is calling you to say yes to. And there are things that will take courage and boldness to say yes to. 
Maybe to stand and face the cultural storms of depravity and persecution. And let me just tell you, these seasons may may come, you know, that that we have to really get used to this because they may come over us and overwhelm us more and more and more. Things that are going to be scary to pursue, but Jesus wants, wants you to say yes to, and these works are literally, church, prepared for you in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. He prepared them for you in advance so that you can walk in them. Do you realize that? And every single day that you live a complacent faith, friend, where you're doing nothing and you're satisfied with just going to church once in a while is a day that you are not obeying the way of Jesus. I'm telling the truth. And that's why I believe that I love you right now in this moment. You're not walking by the spirit. You're not following Jesus. And we have to take Jesus's words seriously. It's not just enough to know the right thing that you should do. You have to do it. You have to follow Jesus with everything you've got. If you want to legitimately build your life on the foundation of Christ, you have to live out your faith. So in the end, here's a little epilogue for the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm closing and ending in two minutes. The last two verses, this is concluding Matthew chapter seven in the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I want you to imagine that you were there on that mountaintop among the crowd. You literally heard Jesus, the son of God, preach the most amazing sermon. The Bible says they were astonished at his teaching. So Jesus gets done with the sermon, church dismissed or sent, how we say it here at Summit. We'll see you, you know, next week type of thing. People are walking down the mountain and everyone had a mountaintop experience. Wow, that was amazing. Everyone at least appreciated his teachings, but not everyone followed Jesus. But not everyone followed him. And for us as a church, I hope that that we, we would not be satisfied with going through the Sermon on the Mount with a bunch of insightful takeaways. But Jesus is calling us to follow him with everything we've got, church. So what are you gonna do? What are we gonna do? We're going to trust in God's love. That's what we're going to do. And no matter where you're at in this trusting God, go deeper. Go deeper. And then what we're going to do is we're going to listen to Jesus and and we're going to grow deeper in this as well, to dig deep, to have a resilient faith. We're going to listen to Jesus by the help of the Holy Spirit. We're not doing it alone. You're not alone. And then we're going to live it out daily and grow in that as well. And that's how we stay rooted in the rock. Again, if you've never heard the message of the gospel, or maybe you have, but it never did anything inside of your heart, just know that Jesus died for your sin. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. And Jesus came to die on a cross to pay for the penalty of your sin. But then he rose again the third day bringing all of us or giving us a chance to come to life, to have newness of life in him, to have a new identity, to have a new purpose, new taste buds, new desires, new eternity, new family. And when you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, when you repent, meaning turning away from your life and looking at Christ and starting this relationship with him, 
man, he's gonna, he wraps his righteousness around you. You become pure and clean and holy so that you can stand in the presence of a holy and a perfect God. How amazing is that? And you can have that today. For the rest of your eternity, this can be your starting line. If that's you, man, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Lucas, Raz. We'd love to pray with you, for you. Would you stand with me, church? Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.